With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Ficini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Mark Schindler is here. Champions Classic just ended. We're here. We're going to break down all of the action that you just saw and more. We're going to have a great time. And these were weird games, right, Mark? Like that's the best place to start. These were very bizarre games. We got a Maddie Sissoko Euro step. Um, so <laughs> that's, I think that's the best way to encapsulate what happened tonight. And that was in clutch time too. So, um, what a, what a slate of games, man. Just a, a weird duo of games. I haven't watched anything else that happened tonight in college basketball. So we're only going to be talking about these two games, but. We're going to talk these two games at the top for probably like 30 minutes, and then we're going to dive into the NBA Defensive Player of the Year race, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the Celtics at the end. I know that Mark and I talked a little bit about maybe doing some Michael Porter Jr. stuff because I don't know if he's ever going to miss a shot again, but I don't know if we're going to have time just because the weird way that these games happen. So Mm. let's just focus on those two things uh, from the NBA standpoint at the end, but Mark, I mean, what's going on, man? How 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 is life for you <sighs> today? Has well, honestly today has been like the busiest day of my last month. So it's been a it's been a ride, but I'm <laughs> I'm psyched to to finish it off with you. And after after those two games, I was I mean that was awesome, man. Especially that second game. This Kansas team just goes like I yeah I love the way that they play basketball. Um, there's a lot to dive into with that, but no life is life is life is good, man. Crazy day. Um, but how about you, man? How's everything on your end? Everything is good. Yeah, no, last night, my wife and I watched both of the Terrifier movies. Have you ever seen? uh seen the first one. I have not seen the second one. The first one, is, it's fucked, man. But <laughs> it's, you see, you like, uh, it's it's really good. But, like, for people who are not into, uh, like, it's, it's graphic, man. Like, not in a way that you expect going into it. It's good, though. So, I, I did not really fuck with the first one. Yeah. Uh, it was just aggressively not on my wavelength. Yeah, the second one I think is better. Uh, okay. I-, I liked the second one more. I don't know that I loved it, but uh, it is it is certainly a better film that has an actual structure as opposed to the first one, which is just like mayhem with a clown. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. That's kind of how how the 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 ending of the first one goes. Is it just kind of winds down into monotony of of crazy shit happening? But yeah, yeah. I I have uh, I'm supposed to watch Pearl. Did you see X when it came out? Um, I did. Yeah, I saw okay, that in yeah. theaters. Yeah, I need to see Pearl still because it's finally out on streaming. So I'm gonna watch that. Hopefully, I'm thinking tomorrow because tomorrow is like a yeah. less much less crazy day in NBA. And oh wait, no, no, tomorrow's Wednesday. On Thursday. I'm going to do that. But Thursday yeah, will be your day. Into it. Yeah. Uh, no, it'll be, I will probably watch Pearl at some point this weekend. My wife and I watched Don't Worry Darling this weekend. I heard um, that's a ride. <laughs> it's hot take. It's good. I'm just really? straight up saying okay. it. All right. Well, now I feel it like is I good. That's where I'm at. Don't Worry Darling is a disaster fire of 
a press tour and of a production process, but that is actually a good movie. That's where I'm at on it. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it a little bit at the end so that we don't spoil it for people, or I won't spoil it for you because you haven't seen it yet. But let's dive into these basketball games. Let's talk about, let's talk about the second one first. Uh, Kansas and Duke. That just ended. I'm sure people want to hear our thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. So Kansas wins this game. I think the final score was 69-64. And it was interesting from a number of different perspectives not just from a prospect perspective because there were five or six potential first round picks on the court, but also this was John Shire's first real, you know, test, I guess his first real moment in the spotlight where everyone was going to be focusing on him. And I think that that's where I want to start. I thought John Shire was outstanding in this game offensively at the very least in terms of getting his team into processes that function. You look at his shot chart at the end of the game for Duke. I think they took like four mid-range shots. Everything else was at the rim or from three. Uh, It was just the kind of shot chart that you really want to see for a guy that's getting the processes right. I thought he ran some really great actions. Uh, And then you look at just an overall strategy view of the way that they seem to attack Kansas. They just crashed the offensive glass constantly, right? They knew that they had the size mismatch on guys like KJ Adams, on Edgy four, on whoever was at the four position for Kansas, such as Jalen Wilson for the majority of this game. And they just let Kyle Filipowski just run to the rim every single time and try and attack and try and create extra opportunities. And he did a great job of it. So I was very, very impressed with John Shire in this game. Ultimately, he just has a young team right now, Right. Uh, he's a lot of freshmen. He has a guard in Jeremy Roach that I'm frankly not the biggest fan of at the end of the day in terms of being able to run the offense. I thought the offense ran drastically better when Tyrese Proctor was the lead guard, but Tyrese is a freshman and he's just not always going to have it, especially when you put guys like Dewan Harris and Kevin McCullough on him. Uh, if you notice, those are the moments when Tyrese Proctor struggled. The moments where Tyrese Proctor was great at the start of the second half was when Grady Dick was on him and Shire understood how to attack that mismatch pretty drastically. So I think John Shire absolutely passed his first test as a head coach, even if Duke lost. Um, And I think that Kansas looks like a national title contender. Uh, Even with that said, they looked awesome across the board. Yeah. The one thing uh, you didn't mention too that I really like, they put Kyle Filipowski on Dewan Harris for a little bit in the first half, just like random yeah. stuff like that, that I love. Like, okay, we know Dewan's not going to shoot. We're going to leak it in the lane. And they really started to clog things up after um, Kansas had a pretty massive run early, just, you know, really forcing things in transition. So I agree. Um, also had to get off the tweet, Freddie Prince Jr. Coaching Duke. Love seeing that. Um, <laughs> but you know what yeah, the crazy man. thing is? John Shire is probably 10 years younger than Freddie Prinze Jr. Which is crazy like, to think about. Yeah, I know, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I'm showing my age, but, like, more just that I'm younger than you. But, like, I, I was, like, a little kid going to the drive and watching the you know, the, the OG live, live action Scooby-Doo movie when it came out. So, it's like, yeah, that's forever. That's not that bad. Like, you're only, you're only, like, six years younger than me. You're not that much younger than me, first and foremost. Oh. But, like... <laughs> Close enough. (laughs) But like, I remember like, she's all that. Like, that's probably like the thing that's right before your time, right? Never actually seen she's all that. I know what it's about, but yeah, no, never seen it. Yeah. So like, that's, that's the age, that's the generational difference between the two of us. Um, But no, I, I I agree with you, man. Like, I I think that, I think that John Shire looked great. I think that uh, 
at the end of the day, though, Kansas just has more experience, more talent, and better defenders, especially on the perimeter right now. Uh, I did not think Duke's pick-and-roll defense was very good in this game. Uh, I think they did some interesting things, like you said, cross-matching. But uh, when you're playing two bigs, it's just kind of hard, especially against teams like Kansas that are putting two and three ball handlers out there at once and then able to spray the ball out to someone like Jalen Wilson, spray it out uh, to someone like Grady Dick. It it just becomes a little bit more difficult, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think... You know, even just looking at like, I mean, you saw a lot of where they missed Tariq Whitehead, um, in my opinion. I think even on, yeah. like on defense, I felt like you could see them missing him, which like, duh. I mean, he's a five-star prospect, one of our favorite guys in the draft. Um, but like, and even more so on, on offense, I think getting more of that secondary ball handling too, um, which like you mentioned, they were really good at crashing the last. But just in terms of actually running offense, like you mentioned, like Tyrese had a ton of issues in the first half. Um and I mean, Jeremy was not all that much better either. You just saw just a, a lot of the issues that Kansas is going to provide. Um, yeah. And we were texting about this too. I am interested to see how, like, we saw, especially in the game against Omaha, we saw good stuff from Ernest Uda, but it feels like they're really going to need one more guy to click in that front court, especially when they play against yeah. more sizable front courts because Duke really started to exploit that late. Um, but I want to ask you how. Yeah. You- oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and like Uda, this is just real quick. Like, I don't think Uda played after he and Grady Dick had that breakdown on the Mark Mitchell pick and roll play, um, where that led to a Mitchell dunk. So it seems pretty clear that they don't totally trust him yet. I thought Edgy of four was actually okay. Like, he played like minutes that were serviceable. But what was, what was going to be your question? Well, I just, I think the biggest thing that I'm, where I'm at with Kansas before we even talk about Grady Dick, but like, where are you at on Jalen Wilson to start this year? Because I think there were a lot of yeah. you can there. There's a it's tough. Like I mean, just looking at his, his finishing line. Obviously, we know a lot deeper in box score, but twenty five, ten, and five. The just overall ball control and what he like he can get where he wants on the court in a way that he's never really had consistently all the way together. Um, yeah. Obviously, the shot was off tonight. It's been good for the year on volume. Um, but to be fair, like shot was off for everybody tonight. Um, yeah, but it was like they were playing on an aircraft carrier or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, where are you at with him? Because this has been, uh, I mean, if for anybody who was hopeful of a Jalen Wilson breakout, like we're seeing it. Yeah, we're definitely seeing it from a college basketball perspective. A lot of his buckets are like bully ball buckets, right? He's getting to the rim. He's just putting his shoulder down and he is just like kind of using that shoulder for space and then turning and just like finishing at the basket, right? Ultimately with Jalen, it comes down to the shot, right? And it's the same with Kevin McCuller, right? Uh, Kevin McCuller, it's going to come down to the shot. With Jalen, can he make consistent threes? Can he consistently... uh, just catch and shoot. Uh, can he take them off the hop? Can he do anything off of movement whatsoever? I thought McCuller had like a couple of like corner drift plays tonight, especially in the first half in that first five minute stretch, like where you kind of go, okay, this is really interesting. And I thought McCuller's game as a whole was a bit, a bit messy. But if you look at the overall stat line, it's pretty clear that he was effective. He had 12 points, six rebounds, two assists, two blocks, a steal, did a really good job defensively. Like that's an effective game, but obviously Jalen Wilson is just going to get the numbers here. Like he's going to be the box score guy. Look, I've always had some interest in him, certainly just because 
big wings are valued, especially big wings who can play a role defensively. I wouldn't say Jalen Wilson is like a difference maker on that end, but he's definitely not bad defensively. Mm -hmm. So I I look at Jalen Wilson and think so far, if he got drafted in the second round, that, that would not blow me away at all. Yeah. No, I think I'm in the same boat with you. My my bigger thing, like obviously the shot, but I think it's more so his touch around the rim because he had like I feel yeah. like a lot of his stuff he has to get on putbacks. Um that just by nature of being a very below the rim athlete for someone his size. And I think right. that's like you're mentioning too, like part of the reason he's not somebody I consider a massive plus on defense is because he isn't extremely long and he doesn't have the verticality to make up for it at times. So right. um I agree. I just because I, I have seen a lot of speculation on where Jalen's at right now, and I want to see if we're on the same boat. And I think we are. Um, oh, our, our dear sweet friend Nikias Duncan has come in the comments and asked if we have UConn thoughts. Uh, <laughs> I have not watched UConn yet. I would like to see UConn play a good team first. Um, yeah, look, I did not watch uh, Tristan Newton tonight. I know he had a triple double. Uh, I am generally a fan of UConn. It's just that, like, I, I would like them to get healthy. I mean, Jordan Hawkins. Uh, got, uh, I believe, a concussion in their first game. He only played nine minutes. And then Andre Jackson is out currently. It's just going to be kind of a tough um, tough early stretch to get a real read on what they can be long-term. Um, but look, we've gone 12 minutes at this point. We haven't talked about Grady Dick. That, and yeah. I, I think Grady Dick played one of the most interesting prospect games that I can remember. Uh in his third college game, he scored seven straight points to essentially like close the game for Kansas and win them the game. He also was such a liability defensively at the start of the second half that Norm Roberts had to pull him off the court because John Shire and Duke was just clearly came out at halftime and said, we are going to relentlessly attack Grady Dick with whoever he is on every single time early on. It was Tyrese Proctor. He hit the two mid range jumpers and then hit that quick three. Then they put him on Mark Mitchell, Mark Mitchell. They ran a ball screen where Mark Mitchell was the ball handler. That genuinely might be one of five times that Duke does this the entire year. And he was able to get to the rim and dunk with ease. It it was just one of those things where, I have no idea what to make of Grady Dick after that game in terms of his prospects. I know that he was huge for Kansas. And I know that like he is maybe their swing guy this year. Now, like if they can keep Grady Dick on the court without getting obliterated defensively, because he's the weak link, then they have a real shot to win the national title. If they don't, I think that you're going to see a lot more of the issues crop up offensively where they struggle to space the court a little bit, struggle to really initiate a lot of offense because the way Grady Dick moves off the ball, the way he can shoot, the way he spaces the floor, you constantly have to stay connected to him. He is just a spacer unto himself for Kansas's offense. He is a gravitational force for Kansas's offense. Yeah. No, I think you bring up a lot of great things. What's interesting, too, is um, like with Grady, I mean, I don't know how you feel about him long term as a defensive prospect. Like, I think the off ball stuff is generally very good, especially to like just yeah, his ability yeah, yeah. to generate deflections. Um, I think it's going to be more like it's going to take time for him to obviously, you know, generate. He has a really high base right now, um, especially, you know, considering that he's only like what, like 200 pounds at 6'7, six, 6'8. Six, so, um, so, yeah, 6'7, in- probably 200, I'd guess. Yeah. 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 At best. And it's like, yeah, I mean, we, we totally saw that play out. Um, so I'm not super worried about that long term, but it, like you mentioned, I feel like 
I mean, that stretch to close out was fantastic. And before we even get to that, it's just been like, it's the stuff that you would see watching him at sunrise, but like the, the finishing package he has around the rim is unreal. Like the stuff that he'll pull out routinely. Um, he had like in the, again, against in their first game against Omaha, he had like this windmill layup around the rim. He has a ton of really good stuff to protect against rim protection. Um, like it's just the the things that he'll pull out are are, are it's it's so fun to watch, um, but it's effective too. Like it's not just like for show. Like it's yes, it's the Tony Hawk Pro Skater layup package, but it goes in and like <laughs> effectively. Um, and like you mentioned too, it's just he moves so well without the ball. He's really good at changing direction. Um, I, I mean, of course, I think on on one hand you can be like, well, you should have been able to see that he was going baseline with that lob, but also it's because he's good at being deceptive with his cuts and how he gets to places. Um, I, how many threes did he even take tonight? I know obviously he hit the one that was, that was big down the stretch, but um, I I can like, he he went, he went one of four from three. Okay. Yeah. He did not take many. Yeah. I was gonna say, I want to see him continue to take more because like, he's like the release point is good. It's a really quick shot. Um, Where are you out as a shooter? Do you, do you think it's a quick shot? Because I think it actually takes him a minute to load into it. Um, it. Like once he actually gets the ball up, it's quick. But I think yeah. it takes him that extra split second right that's now to like point. get into it and yeah. to get his feet down. So I, I think that that's going to be uh, the big kind of almost swing skill for him throughout the year is can he get three pointers off of volume that are off of movement, right? Like not just yeah. spotting up in the corner where, you know, Dewan Harris is spraying and ball out to him or something like that. So yeah, no, I, I am a, I'm a really, really, I'm a big fan of Grady Dick. Like it's funny. Like I loved him at sunrise and, and I thought he was better than Mark Mitchell. I thought he was like very clearly, you know, a one and done prospect mm-hmm. is a first round pick coming into this year. And then I kind of got, spooked because i'd heard from scouts that were at kansas practices that were like yeah like you know it's it's been real hit or miss like some days he's really good some days he's not very good apparently and you know it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting early on to see where he settles in in their hierarchy of players right Mm -hmm. um but it's very clear that he's like their number three guy uh, yeah. behind I think McCuller is probably going to end up taking more shots than he does just because yeah. McCuller can handle the ball a little bit better he's aggressive as a slasher and driver even if going into the trees tonight against Duke he wasn't necessarily able to take a ton of shots at the rim um, and then Jalen Wilson's obviously going to take shots as well but you know I, I would expect Grady Dick to get 10 11 shots per game something like that mm-hmm. and if he does that and gets two or three off of cuts per game and takes you know two off of transition opportunities on leak outs and then takes five threes. He probably averages pretty close to 14 points a game and we'll see where it settles. Like I, I, I think that off of this game, he will be seen as a one and done prospect basically. Yeah. Yeah. No, he should be honestly with, with how he's playing with how he fits. I agree. And I think it's interesting too. Like I want to see how it looks moving forward. Um, just given the nature of the game tonight and how, um, the defenses were playing like there was not a lot of opportunity for it. It felt like, but uh, in the yeah. first two games, he did quite a bit running some second side pick and roll stuff too. So I'm interested to see yeah. how that plays out as the year goes on. Um, yeah. The, the big key for him is defense. He yeah. needs to figure out on like to be able to hold up at the point of attack on ball so that teams just can't relentlessly attack him, mm-hmm. especially in the big 12, which is one of the most physical leagues in the country. Like, 
a team like Texas with their guards, with Tyrese Hunter, with Marcus Carr, um, and then with someone like Timmy Allen, like they're going to try and get their man switched on to Grady Dick, and they're just going to attack him. Yep. And they need Grady needs to work really, really hard on that to bring that together. But if he does that, I think that he's going to have a real shot uh, to be a one and done and be the kind of guy that uh, I thought that he could be coming into the year, but scouts scouts scared me off just in general. Like I need to stop listening to preseason scouts. I I think is where I'm at. (laughs) Like I need to stop listening to NBA people to go to these practices because uh, moving to Duke. Now, another thing I'd kind of been told is like Kyle Filipowski didn't look very good. And Kyle Filipowski has been incredible. <laughs> so I thought he was the best player in the game you. tonight. Like even with, I thought he was too. Was, I thought it was him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just so aggressive, powerful, strong uh, as a rebounder on the offensive end. He did a great job spacing the floor. I thought that, you know, he probably could have had two or three threes made in this game. I think he ended up uh, only making one, but you know, he got open looks from three in a real way. Like I, I am a, I am much more intrigued by Kyle Filipowski uh, after this game and after his start to the year where he's the first Duke player to have three straight double-doubles um, than what I, I was told to anticipate coming into the year is maybe the way to put it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think my bigger thing, too, was just his overall mobility. Um, like being a guy who's like a little bit more of a tweener at the 4-5, um, I looked at him more as like, okay, how is he going to look holding up? in space and i thought not that it was perfect but i thought he honestly had pretty good moments playing out in space and just overall health instincts and recovery ability um again not perfect but it was in a in a lane where i was like okay that's not what i was expecting it to be this year in, in a positive way um so i was i was pleasantly surprised with that but then you mentioned too like his blend of physicality and fluidity is like it's pretty breathtaking to watch like the way that Skill, you can go like he and, puts the ball on the ground yeah. like it, he's real yeah He's he's really good, man. I, like you mentioned too, I want to see more of, of what it can look like with him continuing to space the floor, especially once once Dariq comes back. But that was that was a promising game, man. That was fun to watch. Yeah, and speaking of Dariq, I think that this is the question that Duke fans are going to be asking the whole way, right? Uh, does Dariq Whitehead? This is from Justin Burkholder in the comments. Does Dariq Whitehead give Duke enough offense to compete with UNC and other top teams in the country? Uh, Possibly, yeah. I think that more than anything, almost what Dariq Whitehead does is he just gives Duke another player that opposing teams really have to pay attention to. Like in this game tonight, it felt like it was a little bit too easy to hide a player on Mark Mitchell, right? Or to hide someone on Derek Lively, frankly, at times. Um, So, yeah, like I think that just having another key option will be big for Duke. Yeah, I honestly would almost go as far as saying, like, to me, Jeremy Roach and, and Tyrese Proctor are the two most important players for getting everything else unlocked. Um, because I think you saw when things were getting stifled with actually getting into the lane, it just makes it a lot harder to make everything else work for everyone else on the team. Um, like, I, I don't know where you were, you were you were at with Lively tonight. Like, he had a, a nice short roll rep um, in the first half. Um, but for the most part, it felt like he was just kind of in the dunker spot a lot. Um which I mean, I don't know where, where were you at with him tonight? So they ran a good amount of ball screens for him. I thought, yeah, uh, he rolled pretty hard. I thought almost every time or like rolled into the short roll area almost every mm-hmm. time. I don't think he got fed on any of them, but what they did start to do, particularly with Tyrese Proctor, Proctor, started to really 
like honestly look at Derek Lively and force the tagger to come to him. And then he hit that cross corner kick out twice in the second half to generate open threes. Mm -hmm. So I think that like in that way, Tyrese Proctor honored the Derek Lively role, but at some point they're going to have to honor it to get lobs, right? Like in the first half, it was driving me nuts because they just wouldn't honor the role anytime. They weren't even like with Jeremy Roach, like Jeremy Roach felt like wasn't even looking at him half the time. Yeah, no, exactly. That's that's what I'm saying. Like, I think if they're going to really generate rim pressure and uh, collapse defenses in a way, because even like, I mean, to they're making those those kickout passes, but it never really felt like they were putting a ton of pressure on the rim outside of the actual roll gravity. And that's just that's or offensive rebounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like, it's just like I feel like we really need to see more from them in terms of getting that that next level with the offense. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um yeah, really, really interesting team. What, what did you think of Proctor tonight? Let, let's, I guess that we can close there because on this game because Tyrese had an interesting one. Yeah, I feel like he's somebody I definitely need to go back and rewatch this game for because that first half, like Dewan Harris ate him alive. Um, yeah. in the first half, like, which to be fair, like, Dewan Harris is going to eat anybody alive this year. He's one of the best point of attack defenders in basketball. Um, but really got up into his handle, uh, just made him look very uncomfortable. But then in that second half, like I felt like he looked a lot more in control. Um, he hit those couple pull-ups inside the arc and seemed to just kind of find comfort, get in or get it, get into his areas where he wanted to get. Um, I didn't feel like I got the greatest feel for his passing tonight. Um, so again, that's something I want to go back and watch more of, but I like, it went from flip. It, it flipped not fully like one eighty flip, but I went from like beginning like this is the worst game possible for Tyrese Proctor. Like, okay, we're starting to see him get comfortable. Um, so I liked seeing that from him. Yeah, like Tyrese Proctor played. I thought pretty outstanding in the second half. Yeah, like I, I thought that across the board he was just really good. His final line is still nine points on nine field goal attempts, one for five from three three rebounds, three assists, three turnovers. Like, does that, that gives you an indication of how disastrous the first half was. It it was, it was a train wreck. And I think that that's a credit more to Kansas's defenders. I thought DeWan Harris, you hundred percent nailed it. I thought he was outstanding in this game. Uh, He was cramping up the whole way. Uh, He did everything that Bill Self and in this case, Norm Roberts, uh, you know, Bill Self, I think will be back next game. If I remember correctly, um, yeah, no, I, they were everything that they could want. Dewan Harris did. Um, I will say, if Kevin McCullough is shooting threes, and he went five for ten from the field tonight, he did have the four turnovers, but I thought a couple of those were like kind of a little bit messy, and then a couple were like not great uh, calls where like maybe he got raked across the arms and could have got a foul called or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, five for ten from the field, made two threes, killer defender really had a ton of strips like on drives and then had the two blocks like i don't know this is a guy like i'm sneaky watching is like okay he does a lot that the nba specifically looks for from its role-playing wings i wonder if he could sneak into the end of the first round by the end of the year yeah i've i've i i'm i'm in the same boat too um i i love kevin mcculler like i could not say enough positive things about this dude like like you mentioned the defense it's not just like he's a solid defender like he's off the ball i thought he was tremendous tonight on the ball very good as well his hands are really good um 
he's he can play anywhere on the court too. Like it's not just like he's yeah. best at, in one area. Um, he handles well. Again, like you mentioned, it's going to be the shot, but like he has touch inside the arc too, which is what makes it interesting. Like it's not just okay if you run him off the line, you're fine. Like he's he he's not necessarily a he's not like a great above the rim athlete or anything, but like he's not he's not to the same level we're talking about with Jalen being below the rim. Um, I'm I'm a Kevin McCuller believer. I think if any team has any belief in his shot, like that's a guy that I'm investing in as a rotation player for me. Yeah, like I thought he was a two-way guy, even having the concerns about the shot yeah. going into last year. Um, I, I don't see a world where he's not a two-way guy at the very least. It, it's just, okay, where does it go beyond that yeah. for me? Um, let's go to this next game here, but let's take a quick commercial break before we get there. Okay. Kentucky, Michigan State. <laughs> this is a weird basketball game. <laughs> this was a bizarre basketball game. It felt like Kentucky was in control of what was actually happening on the court for the first 37 minutes, yeah. um, thir- 35 minutes. Like, even if the score was close, it felt like Kentucky was getting the better of the play for basically the whole way. And then they shit on the court and tried to flush it, and it clogged the toilet in the middle of the free throw line on the court, and they couldn't go anywhere. I I just don't know what they were trying. Like, at the end of the game for Duke, like it felt like they kind of went away from what they – we're so successful with early on, right? Like with getting Grady Dick in all sorts of different actions and trying to make him be the guy that had to sit down and defend. There wasn't like any level of structure with what John Calipari was doing in this uh, end of game scenario. And this end of game scenario ended up lasting 15 minutes. The only memorable thing that like was positive for me that Cal did was he ran like a dribble handoff series to start the second half between Lance Ware and CJ Frederick that I thought was really smart. It was kind of similar to the actions that you would see uh, a couple of years ago, the Miami Heat use with Bam Adebayo and Duncan Robinson, where they just like keep keep continuing to dribble handoff, dribble handoff, dribble handoff screen, dribble handoff screen until eventually Duncan gets free and gets the open shot. CJ Frederick is that kind of shooter to where you could mm-hmm. do that. And it worked, and CJ got a three, and it was effective. After that, and in the 10 minutes before that, I have no fucking idea what their plan was. Yeah, I feel like that. I mean, I totally agree. In, in terms of seeing what their their offense is going to be like this year, um, I, I want to see a lot more than, than what we saw tonight. Um, it was a lot of, okay, we're going to try and figure this out through – uh, just straight up, you know, beat your guy or we're going to dump the ball to Oscar. And I mean, to be fair, Oscar was awesome tonight before he fouled out. Um, but yeah, the, the, I have not liked how they've in, tried to enter that saying integrate CJ Frederick implies that there's been any, um, 
like you mentioned, I feel like that was like the and Antonio real... Reeds, by the exactly. way, exactly. Like, like when you bring in two shooter. movement shooters like that, uh, those are guys you have to build into your offense. You can't just have them sitting off the ball. Like they're too good to be having it set up like that. If you're going to actually have them as pressure points, like make it happen. Um, and they have the guys who can run DHOs, which is what makes it more frustrating. But um, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. It, it was just an enormously frustrating game to watch, unfortunately, uh, at the end for Kentucky. And it was just bizarre. It was so bizarre to watch. Um, I, like, it's almost like John Calipari has never heard that you can use a guard to set a screen. Like, I tweeted this earlier, and it, I was just like, does, does he know that that's legal? Like you don't have to have the five man or the four man set the screen. Like you're allowed to run like a severe case in DHO or like a severe case in ball screen where, you know, maybe case in like slips the screen real quick and gets like an open three off of it or just like give the defense a different look. Right. Uh, especially if you think Jacob Toppin can shoot now, which I think Kentucky thinks Jacob Toppin can shoot now. And honestly, Jacob like Toppin the shot looks pretty good. Shoot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I think that mechanically the shot looks pretty good and I, you know, he's made shots. So I, I just, I need to see more, John. I, I've, I've been a defender. <laughs> I've been a defender of John Calipari for a while now. And we're at the point, especially after watching Duke, where, like, they scored 64 points. They probably were under a point per possession in that game. But, like, they had a plan, and they ha- they, they're they just young, and they have, you know, not quite enough shooters to actually, like, be real shooters right now. Because uh, I don't think Tyrese is a real shooter yet. I don't think mm-hmm. Filipowski is a real shooter yet. Mark Mitchell certainly not a real shooter. Lively is not a real shooter yet. They, they just don't have the space to be able to do it. Kentucky has the space to be able to do it. I need more. I, I just need, and I think Kentucky fans need more. I, yeah. I, the, the difference between some of the younger coaches that have come up and have integrated modern concepts into offensive basketball, I think has exacerbated the way that Kentucky's offense looks game in, game out. And the gap between like John Calipari is not changing, but the gap is getting wider because new smart coaches are integrating really high level concepts into their game plan offensively. And the difference in what these teams and coaches are capable of and what they're running is just widening and widening. And it's a real problem for Kentucky now. I think he, he desperately needs to like, figure out offense at this point. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it's stuff that I think we're going to be looking for all year, especially as like, uh, well, they're in a weird place. Cause like severe, obviously is like, he's a good ball handler and playmaker. But I mean, as we saw late in the game, they could not get anything going out of pick and roll with him because of how Michigan state was playing it. Um, and case yeah. is obviously like, he's a good ball handler and playmaker, but he's not like he, you could see him struggle with pressure at times tonight. Um, yeah. As, as MSU ratcheted up, and that's going to happen. Like, he's more of a true two or, or combo than, like, being a lead point. Um, yep. But just to be fair, like, Michigan State's defense tonight was really good, especially down the stretch. Like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, like, Maddie Sissoko was moving. Like, that man was moving his feet. It, that, was fun, that was that was fun to watch. Like, um, just seeing, like, his, his game overall, especially in that fourth quarter and, and into overtime was huge. Um, 
overall, like, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. That is, I got to say, that is like the most big 10 basketball team (laughs) I've ever seen. They have no one who can create separation consistently. The shooting is like pretty bleh. Um, even though they did shoot okay enough tonight and they just play big. Um, they played every big on the roster. It felt like tonight too. Like, I mean, Kentucky played a million bigs too. But yeah, oh, was, we got we got Carson Cooper minutes tonight, man. Yeah, I was I was not ready for that. Jackson Kohler played. Like, I was like, okay, um, it was yeah, what a time to be alive. But yes, that was that was very that was a very big ten big ten game. Yeah, and look, because Joey Hauser like is you know was the best movement shooter certainly on the court tonight uh they ended up going seven of 19 from three and while you would like to see a team take more than 19 shots from three on 70 free uh field goal attempts like they took they took enough of them and made them effectively enough to where kentucky had to guard them out there Mm -hmm. um yeah no i I think michigan state was terrific defensively in this game uh but it, it came down way more to just kentucky not having enough offense and I think it's worth noting as well, like Kentucky has been injured, right? Like yeah. I think that this team, like they weren't running like a crazy amount of like dribble drive shit. Like that Kentucky teams typically run where it's like, okay, we're going to like drive and then kick out and then reset a drive and kick out. And like, they were actually running like a decent amount of ball screens in this game, especially early in the game. Later on, they might've reverted a little bit more into like past Kentucky bullshit. But like, I I think that they actually just don't, it seemed like a situation where they don't have enough experience playing together because there were moments like where Jacob Toppin and Antonio Reeves were like right on top of one another in the corner and Jacob Toppin's like trying to hit a quick reversal up to the wing and Reeves is actually just right next to him in the corner. And there was another one where it was case and Wallace and Jacob Toppin, I think uh, if I remember correctly. So it, it felt like they're trying to add modern things, but they just don't have enough experience playing with one another for it to look modern and well-spaced yet. And hopefully that will come in the coming months. Yeah, and I think, like you mentioned, like obviously we need we need to see them get Frederick and Reeves built in. Um, this was a rough Chris Livingston game, and I think to me, when I look at this team and how they're going to be this year, they really need Chris Livingston to pop because he is that guy who, like Reeves and Frederick, are more two threes than than like a true combo forward. And I feel like they need Chris Livingston to really pop and at least work um, to a degree for them to have some of the lineup versatility that they're going to need throughout the year. Um, because like, ideally, like I want to like Jacob Toppin to me, I know like just reading his stat line and I wasn't anything crazy, but like the things he's done have really interested me as a prospect early Agreed. in the season. Like he looks, he does a lot of the same things Obi does while being a more flexible player. Um, and that's really interesting to me. Like I want to see Ob- Jacob Toppin running DHOs and, and getting more opportunities to be like a short roll threat and just doing some of the fun stuff that, you can get out of forwards who have bounce and feel and, and know how to move off the ball. Like, um, but it's, you know, spreading out the offense and seeing more of that is going to be important. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, let's go to the best prospect on the court tonight. I thought, uh, I thought case Wallace was the best prospect on the court tonight. Yeah. Uh, for awesome. any of the four teams, uh, case Wallace's defense has long been discussed as like an elite skill for guards. He had eight seals tonight. He set the Kentucky school record for steals. And 
it somehow like underrepresented how good he was defensively to me. Uh, He was all over the place in help. He was all over the place digging down on offensive players. Like even when he didn't get steals, recovering out, I thought his closeout technique was awesome. He had one in the first half where he had to play two on one on a closeout, essentially where he did the incredibly intelligent thing. The kick out from the uh, paint came to his right and he closed out on the side of the man and had one arm in the shooting uh, pocket and had one arm to the side so that he couldn't make the reversal pass up to the top of the key, but was still getting a contest as like a side angle contest. It's just like the attention to detail is fucking outstanding with Case and Wallace. Um, and that's just the defense. Like the offense I thought was pretty good as well, but like, Whole, I was just like having a fucking meltdown watching Casey Wallace defend in this game. Yeah, his hands were unreal. Like, again, it's not even just the steals. It's like just his ability to force somebody to pick up their dribble was fantastic. Like, Tyson Walker ended up having a nice game because of how he closed out. But I thought him and Hogard both really struggled getting downhill because of yeah. the way that Casey was able to dive into the lane if he wasn't on them, you know, just straight up guarding in isolation. Like, he was really, really impactful at the nail. Um like, especially just in watching him, like, you see how long he is, and it's kind of wild. Um, like, his, uh, I, he's got to be, like, close, what, plus four, plus five wingspan, it feels like. Oh, yeah, um, I'd guess plus five. Yeah. yeah, and, I mean, you you feel that in watching him. And he's strong, too. Like, he, he doesn't look like he looks wiry, but I think his functional strength is really good in watching oh, him. Oh, they, they well. put him on, they put him on Malik Hall. Yeah. Like at the end of the first half and it yeah. like started the second half and it was just like, Oh yeah. Like he can do this. He, he got shot over the top of once and Malik drained like a mid range shot, but it was just like, Oh no, like Malik is not able to like take him further down onto the block. Like this was a mid post opportunity, like at the elbow and Malik like couldn't move him yeah. to get deeper. So yeah. no, it was, it was an impressive game. Very, very impressive yeah. game. Case, uh, what did you think of him offensively, though? I thought offensively was where, like, saying struggles is unfair. Because I think, again, like you saying, not miscast, but, like, I do feel like at times if they were just in a spot of, like, okay, well, we really need someone to create something for us because our offense is breaking down and we don't uh, – state that's making it seem like there was, like, a ton going on. But more like they, they really were struggling to penetrate the defense late in the game. Um I felt like he had some good moments coming off of like uh, more um, side to side stuff to get him going downhill, but just creating out of a standstill, I think was an issue for him, but he did have yeah. like his, his passing is really good. Like, especially on the interior. I like yep. that. He had a drop off um, shoes coming down left side of the lane. Uh, yep. I don't remember who jumped, but like threw a ball, like perfect window. Um, I think it was being, Soko yeah, like jumped yeah. to him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like that, I mean, that pass was fantastic. Like he's, I mean, I'm, I'm so interested in, in, in what he looks like in the league. I, I'm, I'm definitely in on, on what he's going to be as an offensive player. I just need him to like mainline Drew Holiday tape for the next like five years. That's yeah. all I want. I, I want him to just like hook up an Ivy of Drew Holiday tape and just like put it directly into his veins. Uh, cause there's, there's so much there. You can just see like the passing ability. The potential to shoot it. He hit two corner threes tonight that I thought were really good looking. Um, you know, he's, he, he is, he is that starter kit. He's a Drew Holiday starter kit, uh, in a way that we often talk about that as like an ideal 
you know, player for today's NBA, right? Because someone like that can play off of a superstar on the wing, can obviously play at a super high level defensively, knock down shots, make high level passing reads, and obviously isn't going to get taken advantage of in the playoffs because of his size and strength. But I, I mean, th- this is the closest thing I think I've seen to it yet yeah. in terms of actually being able to work out in practicality. Yeah, like the actual the, the the defense really like I just cannot speak highly enough. That's one of the best prospect defensive games I've watched in a while. Like that was yeah. really impressive high level shit. Yeah, really, really special. And speaking of defense, um, I feel bad because like we're gonna talk about Kentucky for the most part in a game that Michigan State won, but um I thought tonight was maybe the best I've seen Oscar Shibway play defensively outside of that final moment at the end of regulation where I think it was pretty much his fuck up. Uh, it was a miscommunication between him and Toppin where they didn't switch properly. And I think it was him that should have been guarding Malik Hall coming down uh, the lane there on the right side. But mm-hmm. uh, he just kind of vacated his space, unfortunately, and then left the wide open area for Malik. But, y- you know, Michigan State doesn't have a lot of guys that can put him in trouble in space. And I think that was a big part of this. But I also have traditionally not loved his help defense. And I thought he was absolutely outstanding tonight in help defense. Yeah. No, I agree. I think uh, to me, I, I've i talked about this with our, our mutual friend, Jake Kyle Mann, a lot. I, I've been in on Oscar as like a real NBA player. Like, I, I think, again, like the level, that's, that's another thing. But I... Yeah. I tweeted this out in game and while noting like, okay, I'm not old enough to have watched Dennis Robin play live, but like Oscar's the best rebounder I think I've ever watched. Um, Like it's legitimately like his, his angling, his timing, the way that he initiates contact, like, and it's, he is such an outlier in his skill that I just view him as being a a guy who ends up making things work. Um, But I, I like, like you're mentioning, I think, the, the mobility on defense is it, it looked good tonight, especially too. That was my, my biggest thing coming in with, with Oscar was like, what does his mobility look like in general coming off of a knee procedure? And I thought he looked almost better than he did last year at times. Um, so yeah, I'm right there with you. And like, like you mentioned with the help in general, that's kind of the next step for, okay, what is, what is he looking like defensively this year? I want to continue to see it more consistently. Um, but yeah, I think there were a lot of positive flashes tonight or not even just flashes. Like it was, he had a, a freaking 2020 coming off of knee surgery. Um, it's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> like, yeah. And look, like, here's the other thing. He made a mid range jumper tonight. He took that terrible one at the end of regulation, but like, you know, whatever that's going to happen. The, the thing that I worry about is just the touch at the end of yeah. the day. Like he still misses a few too many bunnies around the basket. Yeah. And I mean, then- like he's got the drum in, you know, 20% of my rebounds are my own missed shots. So it's like, that's, that's part right. of his, that's part of his game. That's part of it. And then the other part of it is the turnovers, right? Like yeah. he, he had a case of the dropsies tonight. It felt like. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder too, if part of that's just like coming back, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. We, uh, we shall see. With, uh, I did want to ask you one last thing. Did you? I'm assuming not. Do you have any thoughts on Damian Collins tonight? I, I don't. I, I and I don't really want to be. I don't really want to because he was coming off of. Yeah. Um. You know, his father unfortunately passed very suddenly, and I, I just don't think it's even worth discussing him as a prospect. Like 
uh, coming off of that tonight. Like I, I can only imagine what was going through his mind, you know, playing in a game like that. Uh, best wishes to Damian Collins, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I didn't think he made much of an impact, but like, I, I can't imagine a circumstance where I would have expected him to coming off of that, I guess. Um, let's, let's go to Michigan State just very quickly. Did Maddie Sissoko pop for you at all? Like is a real like guy to watch now. <laughs> Uh, as a guy to watch, yeah, like the yeah. The, the mobility in defense was really really good. Um, yeah. Like, I I think a lot's going to depend on what the skills turn into offensively, and you know how I can make. Like, obviously, he's a lot threat. Like that's that counts for something. Yeah. Um, but I need to see the rest of of what that looks like as he continues to grow out. But the defense was like like, like that was legitimately very good, and I not I don't, don't want to necessarily say coverage or style, but like. They were comfortable playing him close to level, and he looked good doing it. And that was a big reason for why Kentucky's offense stalled out at times um, was him being able to come up and play closer. And um, I, I mean, man, yeah, he was. I thought he was Michigan, Michigan State's best player tonight. Like even like, yeah, Joey led them in scoring, but I felt it was him. He um, was really damn impressive. Um, I actually thought the guy who popped most for me was probably Jaden Aikens. Like, obviously, like not in terms of all around game, but just flashes tonight. Yeah, um, long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Malik Hall, I'll like, I'll always be like, well, maybe, maybe if Malik Hall just uh, does, yeah, he's he's the guy. He's always like, well, if he just, uh, yeah, like Dicky got in. Dicky V even, said, even from the moment Hall, he, like, he played for Mocam with Michael yeah. or Jonte, like I, I've been kind of sneaky in just a little <laughs> yeah. bit. Yeah, it's like, well, if you, yeah, I mean, well, that's what was so frustrating tonight because it's like, I, I don't disagree with, with, with Dick Vitale that they needed to get Malik Hall a touch, but I was also like, okay, well, when Malik gets the ball that's, and it's not an immediate jumper, what happens? And I'm like, yeah, that's why he's not getting the ball right now. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fun time. <laughs> Yeah, Malik Hall had four turnovers versus zero assists tonight. That uh, unfortunately tends to be an issue with Malik, not the four turnovers necessarily, but just like he doesn't really know how to process it quick enough oftentimes to like keep the offense moving. Like he, he's a he's a catch and surveyor, right? Yeah. But doesn't quite have the ball handling ability to like make something happen after surveying. Which yeah. always makes it a little bit tricky. Um, I think they used him well tonight in terms of like getting him the mid post touches when they got him the mid post touches. And then, mm-hmm. you know, he had the incredible play at the end of the first overtime where just like the poise to make that pass fake and then drive and dunk. Very, very impressive. I, I, he will, if you made me bet, he will end up in my top 100 at the end of the year. Yeah. He's a guy I'm always like, yeah, exactly. He's always on my radar just because he has like he has the skills, he has touch. Like, yeah, I'm, he's 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 a he's a guy. Really, really interesting player. Okay, uh, any other final thoughts here on the Champions Classic? I, I maybe let's just close with this. I, I can't remember the last time I felt like the Champions Classic had as uh, had. I don't want to say as little, but like had as few real prospects that I felt great about on the court as it did tonight. Um, there are a lot of guys I'm interested in. Kaysom Wallace, Grady Dick, Derek Lively, Kyle Filipowski, Tyrese Proctor, et cetera, right? But, like, I would say Kaysom Wallace is, like, really the only, like, I can almost guarantee you that guy is a first-round pick in 2023. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. Like Derek Lively, I guess as well, but Derek Lively is still like reintegrating. It feels like. Yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. I think like, to like like you mentioned to me like Kaysen's the only guy I look at him like maybe he makes the lottery like I think he'd be in my lottery right now just based on prize yeah he'd but, be in mine too um yeah. but like exactly like I think everybody else you're like well maybe we'll see what happens but I agree um yeah especially like last year too with with how James Classic was like that Gonzaga game was loaded so it's oh wait no wait what am I talking about? I'm, I'm thinking no, my bad, but yeah, yeah. But but last year Champions Classic was like Duke and Kentucky. There was Ty Ty. There was Paula Bancaro. There was Mark yes, Williams. Yeah. Like you know, Wendell Moore was starting to break out. You could kind of see. So like you still had Paulo against Ty Ty uh, in that game, and then um, the year before you had like Terrence Clark, Brandon Boston, Isaiah Jackson against. Um, a, like older Kansas team that was a year away from winning a title, right? Mm-hmm. It just did. It didn't feel like that this year to me. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. But uh, I, I will say, like, I think Kansas is probably the best team I watched this year. Like in terms of interest. Like, okay. Uh, Here, I, that's a I good need one. To, I need to see more. But to me, like, I look at this Kansas team. Obviously, it's hard to project out and be like, yeah, they're going to win a national title, but. I don't know, man. They just they do it for me. They're, they're the way that they play. I feel like they're so hard, especially in college, when you can like legitimately play five guys who are six six to six eight that can all make an impact. Like I mean, KJ Adams can't really dribble, but like he he's a quality decision maker at times. Like yeah, um, and they can like legitimately be switchable and aggressive, and they don't just switch like they're like like especially like they're they're aggressive. Like they find ways to really. Yeah fuck up what you're doing and i think a lot of teams in college just don't have the ball handlers to handle that so i uh i wouldn't pick them to win a national title but they have been really really exciting to watch early in the year have you watched houston yet yes i think i like this <laughs> team better than houston right now they don't have the the shot making that houston does which i think carries houston more in the in, in the tournament but um in terms of the size man it's like that is I, I just I fall for it every time. I, I get what you're saying, but like, <clears throat> like Houston can roll out like Tremont, Mark, Terrence, Arsenault, Jawan Roberts, and Jarris Walker, or yeah. like put Javier Francis at the five, right? Mm-hmm. Like they they can get big if they want to. The I watched the Oral Roberts game uh, mm-hmm. this morning. The way that they just like annihilated Max Ace. Yeah, I was going to say, I saw Ace Miss's box where I was like, oh, I need to watch this game over the weekend because that's uh, that that looked gross for him. Um, I watched that. Which what was the weird game where everybody was slipping? It was the game against St. Joe's and they it was like they were they were good, especially with the ball pressure. But yeah, um, yeah, I I, I, yeah, I, it would be it would be a toss up, but yeah, they've been they've been really good. Point being, yeah, when I've watched that Houston team, I'm just like, there is not a team in the country that's going to want to play Houston. Uh, yeah, this team, this team looks dreadfully miserable to play against, and they have like multiple first round picks on offense. Yeah. Like, I don't know, man, that's a scary one for me. <laughs> uh, yeah. I also like Baylor. I've really been impressed with Baylor. So Keontae's been awesome. Like he's Keontae's been, been awesome. fantastic. Yep, totally. I've also been impressed with UCLA in a way that I didn't like. I have not caught UCLA yet. All I know is 
uh, Jalen Clark. Uh, yes. Yeah. I've always loved Jalen Clark just because he has all the ancillary skills. The defense is fantastic. Um, and he's shooting now. I'm like, well, okay, that changes things for me. Um, so yeah, if I Jalen need to, Clark. I need to... Yeah. If that guy is a 38% three point shooter on like five three point attempts per game, that is the first rounder. I think. Oh, without question. Like, yeah. Yeah. That, that guy is fucking awesome. Uh, yeah. I I don't know if he's actually that level shooter. Same, yet. but I appreciate like, the confidence the so far. Yeah, and, and he's made seven of thirteen in three games. Like, and he's been really effective. But like, he he is a holy shit level off ball player. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why Mick Cronin for the last two years has played him over guys like Peyton Watson. Like, he's he is awesome, and I think yep. not enough people recognize him. Um, okay. Uh, oh, also Pepperdine. Sorry, Pepperdine national champions. <laughs> let's yeah. do it. Um, okay, let's uh, let, let's go to NBA Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, this is a fun race. You and I just wanted to talk about defense. That was the thing. Yeah. He, I told you that I wanted to talk about OG Ananobi, and we kind of uh, we kind of back backfilled an idea uh from that idea essentially mm-hmm. so it, who, who let's just start here who has stood out for you uh defensively in a way that like has made your eyes pop this year uh in the nba yeah if i had to pick a defensive player of the year right now it'd be brooke lopez um yeah I he's been that. i mean he's been amazing especially to coming off of the uh injury like i think there were a lot of people who were wondering you know at the end of last year and especially like he he had some moments in the playoffs but for the most part i think people were like is are they gonna move on from him uh and no like brooke and even too like on top of the defense's offense he's having probably his best offensive season he's had in milwaukee part of that's with chris being out so they've incorporated him more but yeah the defense like he's been the best room protector in basketball without question for me um I mean, his ability to to toggle up what he's doing, playing in a deep drop, playing close to the level, um, mainly in a deep drop right now. But his his timing is incredible. Um, the stuff that he's done is just really thrown guys for loops this year in a way that, like, obviously he's been near deep defensive player of the year level before. Um, I think he could have credibly won it in 2020, and I think he's going to make a run at it this year too. Um, yeah. So for me, he's been the best. I think OG, like you mentioned, like OG – has been unreal this year. He's been the best winning defender in basketball without question for me. Um, yeah, I just kind of wanted to talk about OG. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that OG would be my guy so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how much of this is just like me giving a take that like I only like sort of believe in? Uh, probably a little bit. Because like honestly, Brooke Lopez has probably been the best defender in the NBA this year. Like if I'm being completely honest, right? Yeah. And if I'm looking at this, if I had to vote for defensive player of the year tomorrow, I guess I would have Brooke Lopez at number one. Um, I, I think that that's objectively the right decision, given the way that he has completely bogged down every single thing for every single team that has played against the Milwaukee Bucks so far. Um, OG and Anobi would be number two for sure for me, though. The way that he has... It used to be, and I don't mean this disrespectfully to OG, but like the way it used to be that I've always thought that he was more of an on-ball guy that you would utilize maybe in specific matchups where like you felt like 
someone was going to come up and set a screen. So you want OG to get switched onto the ball handler within an action. So we're going to have him defend the primary ball handler that way, or we're going to have him just defend the primary wing a different way. Right. Mm-hmm. He, to me, has always been a better on ball defender than he's been a help defender. He's now incorporated the help defense stuff in like a substantial way. He has been all over the place with his arms. He has been all over the place in help. I think that a guy that's actually been really rough defensively this year is Scotty Barnes. Uh, I I think he has really, really struggled defensively at times this year. And OG has always been there to kind of help clean up messes for him uh, and to help clean up messes for Toronto in general. And this isn't to say he was a bad help defender previously. It's more that I think he's leveled up in a pretty real way. Um, and when he's off the court, you can't, you can like really genuinely feel it for Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, he's a guy who I, I mean, part of the reason why he, he's probably never made an all defense is just because of health. Um, I think he's yeah. somebody who should have probably gotten one before, but like last year he took a little bit of a step back. Like he was still very good. One of the best wing defenders in basketball, but he wasn't all defense for me because he just did a lot more on the ball. Uh, because they needed him to and then that you know just ended up being not as you know not the same level of defense but what he's doing now like he's making these crazy chaos hectic rotations which granted they ask him to do but like like you mentioned like talking about Kaysen, uh the way that he closes out and then returns with his arm out to keep things at bay like OG is literally covering like 40 feet of ground well, also, you know, getting a steal once he's like returning and recovering, like it's crazy yes. shit right now. Like the, the the level of things that he's able to do with with his hand eye coordination is kind of nuts. And it's like we talked a little bit with with Jalen Wilson in terms of the way that it, ball control and just like having control of the court. Um, I think OG is hitting a point now with just as a defender where, and he's obviously had it before, but this is like like you mentioned. I think this is the peak height of where he's been at defensively. Um, Like if there's a ball within like 15 feet of him, it just feels like it's in play for him to get it. Like, and that's without like just completely overhelping because it doesn't feel like he can overhelp right now because he's so good in recovery and getting back. Um, His angles are really good. Like everything he does is just a joy to watch. Like Toronto's going through it a little bit right now just because of injuries, but he's been, I mean, yeah, like like you mentioned, his defense has been just unreal. Um, well, and like you can like his feet are so quiet, like in a way, right? Like the way that he closes out is the ideal way that like teams want guys to close out now. It's not like short choppy steps, like going out and then he's like jumping to the ball handler. It's that he's gracefully like sliding out and just using his length and then keeping his hips like dropped while still being able to like contain if a guy tries to drive on him. And then, like you said, like the way that they've weaponized him as a help defender. And and I guess, like I said, like a minute ago, I mean, it's just been completely and utterly, uh, he, he is like the best defender in the league and like he's he's producing as well like he is averaging almost three steals per game um his hand strength is absolutely ridiculous i think that that goes like way underrated he's switchable across like a ton of different positions obviously like we know that but like it, it feels th- this is like his masterpiece season defensively um th- like i i Look, we, we've seen 15 game stretches, I guess, from defenders before like this, right? But like 
he to me he is a better defender at his ceiling than like Mikael Bridges and Mikael Bridges gets a lot of justified hype because of his ability to guard perimeter players specifically like he can guard guards at an exceptionally high level and probably a little bit better than OG but I think he struggles to move up the lineup a little bit uh, and mm-hmm. he struggles a bit with bigger wings and to me OG can deal with guards maybe at like a little bit lesser of a level than Mikhail can because Mikhail is just a freak show on that side of it because of just how smooth his feet are. But like OG can deal with guards, but he is maybe the best like big wing defender in the NBA. Um, and on top of it, can actually slide down onto centers. Like he he is to, to me the most versatile defender in the NBA on the ball. Certainly. I, I I don't know. Like I I still struggle to go past Draymond green as like the best defender in the NBA. Like when he's on the court, because I mean, you just look at the way that golden state completely falls off a cliff when he's off the court right now, defensively. But I mean, OG on the ball is there is, there is nothing like him right now. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think one of the other things too, like we've seen again, like moments of him really being impactful as a rim protector, but I think this is the first season where it's really been like, uh, fully present, like that, that he is a true help side guy. Um, like some of his blocks are coming more from what he's doing, you know, just straight up blocking jump shots because he's capable of doing that. But, um, yeah, yeah he just continues to be an absolute joy to watch play defense. He is averaging almost four steals plus blocks per game. Pretty good. He is. We have not seen anything like OG in a while defensively, I don't think. Uh, is there anyone else you want to point out here? I, I mentioned Draymond Green. I mean, without Dre on the court, the Warriors just completely fall off a cliff defensively. And, and so much of what he does is like so intrinsic in terms of communication, in terms of like getting guys into the right spots. He's still a good rim protector. He's still switchable defensively. Like I, I would unequivocally have him on an all defense team right now. Yeah, um, I'm sure. Tr- I just want to. I'll, I'll throw out a couple, couple, couple names really quick. Um, obviously, Giannis, like Giannis, been fantastic start the yeah. year. Part of why the Bucks have the number one defense alongside Brooke. Um, but a couple guys who I not that I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say that I didn't expect, but like guys who I think maybe aren't getting as much love. Like Nick Claxton's defense has been awesome this year. Like I think he's shown a lot more as a rim protector that has been there, but it's consistent now. Um, he's a lot more functionally strong on the ball. He still get like he got absolutely bodied by Demonis Sabonis tonight. Um, yeah. but overall, like I have been incredibly impressed with him as you know becoming an even more refined perimeter defender. Um, alongside him, Kevin Durant's defense has been incredible. Um, like straight up, like it. He's always had the ability to be a quality defender, and I think he's at the. I don't think he was as good as he got made out to be in Golden State at times, but in Brooklyn right now, like over this last probably 10 games, he's been fantastic. The game when uh, when they lost to Dallas on the free throw miss, um, his fourth quarter defense was some of the best defense I've seen this year. Like what he's doing is a help side rim protector, um, just in help in general, even on the ball. I think he's been really good. Like I would have Kevin Durant on an all-defense team this year. He's been that good for me. Um I don't think I would quite get that. Maybe I would. I'm, I'm there. He's been, he's been he's been dope. It depends. Um, like, do, do I do I need to put Mikael Bridges at? Well, yeah, Mikael Mikael like, obviously be there too. I think if um, I'm just doing ten positionless, he would be on it. Um, the, the guy the guy that's like really stood out to me 
I think there's like a real case that Paul George is back to like his, Paul George has been awesome defensively to start the year. Yeah. Like when he finished third in MVP for Oklahoma City, like he's he's very close to being back to that level. Like as an overall player in his defense, just in terms of being disruptive, it like the mesh point of screens, his on ball defense. He's very, very effective help defender. He's always there rotationally. The Clippers have the second best defense in the league, basically on the back of him and Evita Zubats. Um, those two have been awesome, awesome, awesome defensively this year. I would say George has stood out a little bit more to me. Uh, yeah, definitely. Than Zubats. Um, I, I would say Jared Allen. Has been very good defensively again this year, mm-hmm. just straight up. Like he's covering for those guards at a really high level. I think Mitchell has been better defensively, nowhere near this conversation, but like just in terms of like assessing Jared Allen's sure. impact, like I think that Jared has been really, really good. Um, maybe even a level above Evan Mobley. I, I kind of thought that Evan might take that step above, but to me, Jared has been more the linchpin of their defense. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. It's funny because not even that I think Evan's been bad. Like Evan's still been very good. No, certainly this year, not. But yeah, I don't think he's been quite at the same level as where he was at last year. Um, I think part of that is, you know, just a, being a sophomore player. Not that he's dipping down or getting bored with basketball, but I think he's he's being asked to do a little bit more offensively. Um, they're doing things slightly different defensively this year, so I think he's it's still just kind of ramping back up. But he's still been really good. But yeah, I wouldn't. I would agree that Jared's been a little bit better this year. Yeah. I'm like kind of trying to run through like some of the top defenses. Like DeJounte would definitely have a spot on the guard team for me. Um, he's been very good defensively. The Hawks have a top six defense right now um, in large part because of him. Clint Capella has been very good defensively throughout the course of the year as well. Um, I would say Clint is probably the bigger linchpin, but if, you know, I, I think it's harder to find spots for centers is it's mm-hmm. just been traditionally proven right yeah um, um yeah. it would be hard to fit him on again because like where are you putting him but justice winslow's been amazing this year yeah uh by virtue of just actually being able to play i think that's really helped him but he's been a large reason for why portland is is as good as they are defensively um even like again i don't think he would make all defense for me but um jeremy grant has been like this yeah. is the best version of jeremy grant we see in the nba like he's i wrote about this last week like he's put together like the blend of shot making and and secondary stuff alongside his drives and, and attacking off off shooting um that i think has has been there the last couple of years but now it's like to the level where it feels right for where he's at and i think he's found like another level within that in terms of like you know not having to do like being able to play off of dame um, and play off Simons and play in that system. I think he's really looked good. But the defense for me has been really impressive from him. Like, I feel like this system is is perfect for him. Like, in terms of, like, they're not asking him, like, okay. Because, like, in Denver, they're like, okay, go get that guy because we need you to do that. He's never really been, like, a am just the go lock down somebody on the perimeter type. Like, it's his ranginess yeah. that really stands out. And I think in this – on this system where I think they're still playing second most zone in the league um, – He's been fantastic in that mm-hmm. um, and just being really disruptive. Like, again, like probably not quite at all defense, but he's been very good. Um, and I think finally is like where his reputation has been at defensively at times. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird because like in Denver, he was obviously terrific defensively. And then in Detroit, as the offense ramped up, it felt like he took a bit of a step back defensively. Yeah. Um, and then now he's kind of this is probably the best mesh of Jeremy Grant that I have seen in the NBA so far on both ends. Um, The other guy I want to bring up, 
he started the season not very good, and I don't know if I can get him on like a all defense team right now. But by the end of the year, if Joel Embiid keeps playing the way he has played over the course of the last like six games, uh, he's going to be right there. I mean, he he looks back to being the defensive rim protector monster that he has been for Philadelphia for a couple of years now. Yeah, this uh, the last stretch where I think over the last like seven or eight games i think pretty much since harden has been out and that's not saying it's because harden is out um it's definitely part of it just because they have better defenders on court but um like they're they're, i think they're the second best defense in the league over that span and yeah like you mentioned i think they're it's it's moments where we're like joel is really good at conserving his energy because he has to um but that fourth quarter against utah was one of the best rim protection games i've ever seen from him like he just Unbelievable. He was so good playing in space. Um, he was incredible playing two on ones. Um, and then just everything around the rim got blown up. And that, I mean, just that game overall. Like he, part of it, like you do have to take it with a grain of salt because Utah didn't really play a true five. Like they played Walker Kessler a little bit, but he got into foul trouble and just had nothing for Joel. Um, and it was mostly Kelly Olinick who I can like he's more of a tweener, but like, um, yeah. yeah. So like not trying to doubt like the dude almost had a 60 point quadruple double. Like it was just <laughs> that was that was an unreal game, man. Oh my goodness. Uh okay. Is there anyone else you want to bring up real quick? I, like Lou Dort has had moments, I think, you I know, think as an on-ball defender, still, but Yeah, exactly. Like I'm not trying to be unfair. I saw I had somebody last pod we did, somebody came at me because I did not I like said the thing about like I didn't agree with Luca that that Lou Dort's a top three defender in the league. Um, he's not like like you mentioned. I still think that screen navigation is a problem for him. Like um, a lot of OKC's yeah. defense being as good as it as it is is they play hard as hell and they have just a lot of plus defenders. Like I actually think my I don't think this is a hot take. Like Poku's probably been their best defender. Um, like his rim protection is legitimately very good. Like I, I think I would say he is their most most impactful defender. defender. Might be the best way to put it. Yeah, I don't even know that. Yeah, like just because like the position yeah. he plays. Yeah. Um, I don't think I would say he's been their best, yeah, best defender. Probably but like they're yeah, yeah like they just have a lot of guys who are bought into what they're doing, and I think that that is more indicative of what their defense is than one guy being awesome. Like Lou is very good on the ball, um, but. I still like again. There's just a lot of off-ball laughs with him, and I don't think he's a very good screen navigator, which hurts him. Speaking of the Oklahoma City Thunder and our dear, dear sweet boy Alexei, career game last night. That's right against the Boston Celtics, and that transitions us into the other team we want to talk about here: uh, the Boston Celtics, who have been great <clears throat> throughout the season, just because their offense is unlike anything I've seen, like they have the best offense in the league. They've they're playing some of the best offensive basketball I have seen in the NBA. Like maybe since I've been watching the NBA, uh, it feels like they are an unstoppable force. They have a one nineteen point five offensive rating thus far. Uh, that is obviously first in the league. Uh, I would be interested to run through to see how many teams have had a, 14 game stretch where they have a 119.5 offensive rating. I can't imagine that it's many 
just to be honest with you. I'll, I'll try and look it up while you talk here, but like their offense has just been absolutely insane. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it all starts with Jason Tatum. Like Jason Tatum is playing at an MVP level right now. Um, what's been wild too is Boston is technically, I think what they're the, they're, they're the top team in the NBA right now, just looking at win loss and it's yeah. never really felt like it, which is, I think, almost more impressive uh, or impressive is the wrong way to put it. But like, I think that's just more indicative of how good this team is because they're still kind of finding themselves, especially on the defensive end. Like they show the flashes late in game when they need to be good in clutch time. They're good at it. Um, like in that game against OKC, I think part of that was OKC being a young team as well. But um, mm-hmm. I mean, Jason has just hit the level of like, okay, the floaters there now, obviously the shot has been there. Um, his overall, pacing and, and ability to kind of blend everything like they've been really good at like you like I mean I think so much of the offense has been like they've been really good at a getting him in his spots but also like they've used him as a screener they've used him as a roller they're doing just kind of all these things that at times uh in the last couple of years you've always been like well what if they just do this and I think even like as good as the offense was last year I think there were still moments of like okay well what if there were they were just like a little bit more inventive or like they made this tweak and I think part of it too like Marcus Smart has been really good offensively um last night he was huge in that game like his playmaking like again like the shot hasn't been amazing to start the year but um the playmaking has been really good the drive has been really good their guard play overall has been awesome to watch like Derek White has has fixed his shot um, I'm comfortable saying that with just the mechanical changes he's made to it. Um, and he's like the, their, their offensive continuity is just huge. The, the ability that they have to continue moving and, and flowing without really losing anything after the initial dent is, is really impressive to me. Like, um, and, and the bigger thing, not I'm saying bigger thing, but like one of the bigger things in the minutia is Grant Williams becoming like a legitimate dribble pass shoot guy. Like, yeah, the, like he yeah. is, what I'm looking at is the yeah, 50, 58, 48, 82 right now splits. Um, obviously, that's not going to hold up. I don't expect them to shoot 74% on twos all year, but like he's legitimately, you can't just run him off the line and say, hope that you, you miss. Like he's good enough with his handle. And clearly, like I remember he, he was asked before the season what he worked on. He talked about like attacking closeouts and, um, yeah. It very clearly shows, and for like, it's just enough, and, and more than just enough for what they need. Um, Let, and, let's save this for next week on Grant because yeah. you and I want to do a podcast at some yeah, point talking point. about um, like skills that have kind of changed players' trajectories. So Definitely. let's maybe do that next week and talk about cool. Grant a little bit more next week because I, I think there's like a six or seven minute conversation just to be had about Grant and Definitely. where he is and how awesome he's been throughout the year. Um, with Jason, you know, it's really, really interesting just because I feel like Jason, this is the optimized version of Jason yeah. Tatum now. I actually don't know how you stop him. Like, I, I genuinely do not know how you stop him because, okay, he gets the ball, right? He can take ball screens and now has like the patience and poise to be able to, in the strength also, to keep a guy just like right on his hip, right on his shoulder. And then, he doesn't need to go all the way to the rim. Like you can't really impact him with a rim protector now because he has the little push shot floater. Um, he obviously can pull up from anywhere on the court. He can pull up from 28 feet. If you don't come up on him uh, and close out on him heavily, if you 
I just don't know how you stop him as a scorer. Like, do, do you have any idea? Like, I'm like, try, like, I'm genuinely trying to think like how I would go about trying to defend him if I was game planning, how I would go about like trying to frustrate him. I think I would like try and keep him to the sides of the court and like try and like shade him toward like the wings mm-hmm. and force him baseline if I could. And like, make him take mid-range jumpers uh like make him like basically goad him into mid-range jumpers because i think that's like a better mathematical play than but like he's gonna get to the middle of the court that's the problem like he's so strong now and such a good ball handler and poised ball handler to where once he gets the ball on the wing he's gonna find his way to the middle of the court now that that's I think another thing that just like makes him so dangerous. Like it's it's just genuinely really hard. It's a hard problem to solve. I feel like it's almost an impossible solve now for coaches. Yeah, that's part of why I'm really interested to see the team play the Bucks because Boston and Milwaukee have not played one another yet. Um, and the way that Milwaukee's playing defense right now and really like I think a lot of people be like, oh well, they're just playing drop. But what they're do they they're playing an aggressive drop that's really forcing everything towards the rim. And more importantly, it's like, okay, either you're going to take some of the mid-rangers, but yes, we have Javon Carter, Drew Holiday, and eventually Chris Middleton coming on off screens behind you to rear contest you. Like, it's not easy stuff. Um, I think I am interested to see how that holds up for an entire year. But here's the thing. Like, it works with Javon Carter when the guy is six foot three. It does not work with Javon Carter when the guy is six foot eight and has a super high release point. Like, that's kind of the problem with Jason now. No, exactly. But like, I think that's my thing. Like, I think that's maybe the best you're going to do in terms of trying to stop him yeah. and slow him down. Like, the one of the things that you, I would be interested to see, like, if you're doing some of the forcing him to the sidelines and and sending late help um, after he picks up his dribble, um, because like that's kind of what the. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the 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 Celtics had nothing for Shea Gilgis Alexander in that game against OKC last night. So they started, they were sending Jason off of Lou Dort um, and sending from wherever Lou Dort was, they were just sending him and kind of free safety and then recovering off of it. And I think you're kind of in that same place right now with, with Jason. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't like, I, I think that I'm probably more comfortable like trying to just make Jason make the pass and, and being good enough at recovering behind it, but that requires the personnel to do it and being good. And Yeah. I mean, like exactly what you're talking about, like that superstar shit, and he's he's been that since January last year, and now he's just hitting it's, another high. And the other thing too, like you, like you, we didn't even hit on it. Career high free throw rate, and it's replicable with the way that he's attacking. Yeah. Um, and that's that's monstrous. Yeah, I, I am. Uh, I am just so so staggered by his play so far this year. What I have not been staggered by, though is the Boston Celtics defense. They are currently 22nd in defensive rating. Uh, Look, at first I kind of thought, like I wondered before I like started doing like a dive into it. Like, is this because they're playing more transition like moments? Like it feels like at times, like their games are a little bit faster than what they were like under Ime Yudoka last year and under Brad Stevens. But like, I don't even really know if that's, the case like they're 20th in pace right now and just like naturally when you play faster it's going to lead to more transition opportunities on both sides of the court and you know you can balloon your 
uh, defensive rating a little bit that way, like by like a point per possession or a, a, not a point per possession, um, like a point per 100 possessions that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I, I, they're, they're not like, I, I can't quite figure out why the Boston Celtics are struggling as much defensively as they are just outside of the fact that it feels like they are not quite protecting the rim as well without Robert Williams around. And that's a issue. I think it's been part of it, but honestly, like I think their communication has just been pretty lackluster to start the year. Um, not saying that it's just like a championship hangover. I think that that's, you know, doing too much reductive behavior, but overall, like, honestly, I think they, they just have not been nearly as tight on switches as they were last year. Um, and I think, I mean, like, I want to say the first uh, couple months of the year before um, they had that kind of spark um, when they started finding themselves on that end, uh, I think they were only like 14th or 15th in defense. And they were doing a lot of the same stuff. Like you could see the idea of like, oh, okay, well, I, I get it. But like, all right, well, it's a lot of soft switches. It's a lot of gaps on screens because you're not as tight as you need to be on it. The help principles haven't been awesome. I think, like, to me, Marcus Smart hasn't – like, he's been good defensively still, but I don't think it's been quite the same level. Um, yeah. I, the, not having Rob Will is definitely an impact or two. And, like, they're playing Al Horford less just to conserve him. Um, and like, But, but like, mean, here's the thing. So, like, I just said, like, I'm, I looked up, like, their, uh, their uh, percentage at the rim. Like, in the restricted area, they're still only allowing teams to shoot 61%. So, like – I don't even know. Like, it's so bizarre that this is happening to me. Uh, So like, maybe you're right on the communication. Like maybe that is the fuck up here. Yeah. That's where I'm at with it. I think I'm, I'm not too worried about it. If we hit like January and it's still like this and sure, I think I'll be worried. But right now I'm like, especially with how they're winning still. And I need to give me like two seconds to look up fourth quarter defensive rating, but I think that they turned it up quite a bit in the fourth quarter. Last time I checked. Well, Well, and it's like funny, right? So like, they're middle of the pack and above the break three point shooting against. They are actually like getting a little bit lucky on like corner threes. It looks like um, just because teams for whatever reason are not shooting well from the left corner, no, from the right corner against them mm-hmm. from three. Like, I guess that teams are shooting very high in non paint or uh, non restricted area paint shots. And that would be like floater range area. So like maybe they're loading up to stop got teams at the rim um, and not having Robert Williams's length is causing issues like in that floater area. Do you want to know what the Celtics are in uh, in fourth quarter defensive rating? Are they number one? They're sixth, but they're very close to number one. Um, yeah. They're only two point yeah they're they're less than two points away from being number two in defensive rating yeah. in the fourth quarter so like i think to me like to, that's just a lot of like echoing like i think a lot of it's communication um and also just who's on the floor because like i mean with who they've been playing at the five the times this year i think that's impacted right. it um but yeah well I, I guess the like i say all of this like in terms of like not knowing what the problem is with the boston celtics right now mm-hmm. defensively to say like I'm not worried about it. Oh yeah, yeah. And I think that like your point about fourth quarter defensive rating, like that's huge. The fact that they're that good defensively in the fourth quarter, like that, that kind of says to me that like, it's almost like, okay, we know we can put it on. We can put the clamps down when we need to put the clamps down. Um, I will say that the reason I brought this up is because of the Oklahoma city game. And 
just watching Shea Gilgis Alexander like kind of slice them wherever he wanted to go. That gave me some like real worries about them, like in ball screens, in terms of like being able to contain at the point of attack. They they just like really fucking struggled with Shea. Like it, yeah. and I know Shea is like slicing literally everybody in the NBA this year because he is probably one of the top 12 players in the league right now. But like, it, it seemed to be like a different level. Like you expect better from Boston, I guess, given their point of attack defenders like Derek White and Marcus Smart and, you know, all the switchable guys that they have that they can throw out there. And it just did not matter who was on Shea. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's tough too, just because like, I mean, who has given Shea problems this year? Like, <laughs> It's a great question. I think, I mean, that's going to be something we're going to have to pot about too. Cause he's like, I, I'm comfortable saying that he's like legitimately hitting that superstar claim. Um, which I, I think even heading into this year, I was like, I think that he's really good. But I mean, this has been what he's doing right now is, yeah. I, I like, I, I'm not trying to like poo poo it. Like, I, I agree. Like, I, I thought I was like pretty underwhelmed with what their defensive fight was against him overall. Um, but I just don't know who's stopping him right now. <laughs> you you genuinely him. can't keep him out of the paint. Like, that's the thing. Like, his, like, he's always had the slithery thing with his footwork and his body control. And he's never been the fastest guy. He's never been the strongest guy, but he's always just had like impeccable footwork mixed with this slithery, like, length and, you know, ability to just find little areas and poise. That's the other thing. Like he is, he's always playing it slow motion. Mm-hmm. Like James Harden used to feel like he was playing it slow motion, but it felt like he was just like bullying people and like decelerating faster with Shay. It feels like he's decelerating and hitting the brakes in order to then like Euro step and slither around like three guys at once somehow. And I, yeah. I actually don't know how a human being like does some of the things he does. <laughs> I agree. Um, he hasn't shot worse than 43% from the floor this year, um, which that's to me, like that's amazing. Like when, especially considering he's taking 21 and a half shots a game. Um, that's really impressive stuff. I think part of it too, is he's not really taking a lot of threes um, less than three per game this year, but um, it doesn't, I mean, that doesn't really matter a whole ton just considering the way defenses guard him anyways, but um, yeah, it's a special year right now. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is he's averaging uh, how, how many free throws per game, eight free throws per game trillion, and making 94% yeah. of them. Like it's just ridiculous. He makes every free throw. His touch is really turned into something special from the mid range and his ability to just get to the rim and these super creative finishes with length, which he's always had, like that's always been his thing. Like that creative scoop shot, the like little hooks, like around guys, everything like that. Like he's always had that. It's just, Oh my, he, he is, he has figured it out in such a real way. Um, yeah. Someone uh, actually editor uh, producer, Jacob asked me if the Oklahoma city thunder were to get Wemby, how quickly, would they be contenders? I said within two years. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's possible. Um, I'd have to think about it. Cause it just depends on, on what other things happen around it. But yeah, I mean, I'm almost at the point, like, not that I think that they should, I don't want to put this. Uh, 
I, I like, I just, are they going to be bad? I mean, they're going to do things to be bad enough this year because that's so, so what OKC does, but like, I, I don't know if they will. It, I mean, it, it, it's at the point where I'm like, I don't, like, Shea is too good. Like, he's too good. Yeah. To just. And I think he wants to play. Like, that. that's actually the big thing. Like, I, I think that he doesn't want to sit out at the end. And he shouldn't. Like, I, I mean, exactly. Like, I, I think that's. Not to upset some more OKC listeners, but like, yeah, like he, when you are this level of player, I'm sorry, you are too good to tank. Like that, that's figure it out. Like I, it, it to me, it makes it even more interesting with where OKC's at and figuring things out because this is like that is a player that I'm hoping that I get with the number one draft pick and having Shea Gilgis Alexander. Like he's really, uh, yeah, it's. It, I mean, when you first scouted him, because I, I was not scouting yet. When you first yeah. scouted him, did you see anything like close to what this was going to be? Yeah, I thought not this. Well, um, yeah, I thought he had a chance to be like a twenty-point scorer. Yeah, yep. like I thought, like you know, really, really high-level shot creator and elite-level finisher for a guard. I was worried about the shot. Um, just in terms of like getting it off at volume, but he has really, really improved his footwork into getting uh, his jumper. He still has like the funky release, but when you have elite touch, like he does, I, I think I probably, I think, I, I think I had him ranked like 10th in that class or something. Mm-hmm. So like maybe a spot like right. Or, I had him like right around where it was taken. Um, I think if I misevaluated something, I would say that like, I probably misevaluated his touch by a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was this, where it's he has very clear elite, elite, elite level touch. Mm-hmm. Um, you see it from the foul line. You see it on his finishes. You see it in terms of being able to be a 38% three-point shooter despite having kind of funky mechanics. Like, I, I think I probably misjudged his touch a little bit. No, that makes sense. I feel like the easy enough to misjudge that i mean like when you become this like it's yeah, I, yeah. it's been a pretty also do you know do you know when the last time shea gilgis alexander played um in the month of april was uh his rookie year no i couldn't 20, 2020 he, they made the playoffs in the oh yeah, um, yeah that's right first all year during the bubble year but yeah, yeah it's, it's been since 2020 for uh just just a little shea bit to play to play in the month of april Wow. Which is hard because the NBA season, the NBA regular season in 2021 finished in the middle of May. <laughs> Shit. I didn't even I think, think about that. That is kind of wild to think about. Yeah. Um, I, I would imagine Shay would prefer to play in the month of April this year. I would prefer and... to see play to, to Jesus to see Shay play in the month of April. That would be, You're tired. That would be we, nice. Do, do, we, do, do we need <laughs> well, to end Mark's day? <laughs> you might need to. Yeah. It's 2 a 2 a.m. Eastern time. It's been a long day, but no, dude, this has been fun. I'm, I'm, I'm having a blast. Um, there was one other, let, let's go to, let's go to a movie corner real quick before okay. we end. Um, have you watched anything good recently? I'm trying to think if I did watch anything good recently. I actually saw a couple of duds, which kind of sucked. Like I, I'm very much the person that like I don't mind. Like I, I just like watching things to experience it and see what it's like. Yeah. I feel like I learn as much from bad things as I do from good. Um, I saw the invitation. Not good, not yeah, good yeah. at all. Like that was like that was like a D plus movie for me. Um, it was 
just kind of weird. Like it got the the way that it got billed was it being like this really like cool horror movie. I was like, yeah, I know it's about vampires, but like it was just weird where like they tried. It's in, it's in the trailer that it's about vampires, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. And like they make it like very clear off rip that it's about vampires, but like they make this whole it, it takes them like an hour, hour fifteen in a night like in like an in like an hour forty movie, yeah, to really get to like the actual vampire shit happening, and the buildup is like that. There's like they're they're like it feels like they think that there's a buildup. There's no buildup. Like, it's just like, we know what's happening. Yeah. We know where it's going. And it just like, it never felt like the stakes were that high. It was just kind of weird. Like, I, I don't know. It, it didn't land for me. Um, what? No, it was actually like an actively bad movie. Yeah. I um, yeah. It, it started pretty interesting. Like I was pretty in on the concept of like this woman trying to find family. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously she's having a tough time and then it, like you said, like it's a vampire movie that like it plays like it's not a vampire movie. Yeah, it felt like a romance movie. For I was like, yeah. it was like this is a Jane Austen novel. Um, like, yeah, it, it was weird. Um, I'm trying. Have to you seen Wakanda Forever yet? It's on the list to do soon. I I kind of want to. Okay. I have a lot to do this weekend, but I kind of want to go see it this weekend. Um, yeah. But did you see it already? I have. Yeah. What do you um, think? I saw it on. Thursday night last week. Um, I liked it. It is without saying much. It is about as effective as this movie can be given that it feels like they had to rewrite it like three or four weeks before they started shooting it. Yeah. Um, due to Chadwick Boseman's uh, passing, unfortunately. Um, it, it, it's, the villain is very good. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, the, the villain, everything the villain works. Yeah. Yeah. So go, go see it. It's interesting. Okay. We'll talk about it once you go see it. Definitely. Um, I'm trying to think of myself. I know that I watched something else other than the invitation, but I can't remember what. Um, oh, yeah. I watched the, it. Was, it was, Okay. So free movie on Amazon, which I already should have known that that was mistake okay. it was called like unhuman it was supposed to be a zombie movie i just wanted to chill i think it like i got done working at like 1 a.m one night i'm like all right i don't really feel like looking for a movie found this thing called unhuman it was supposed to be a zombie movie not a zombie movie and it ended up being like pretending to be a zombie movie for 90 percent of the film and it's like well actually <laughs> we uh we we like it, it was supposed to be like these two high schoolers that have been like kind of bullied by all these like so they long story short it's almost like a jeepers creepers setup jeepers creepers 2 setup where like it's a bunch of high schoolers on a bus um they get stranded in like a, a in an area and it seems like there's a zombie apocalypse going on but then basically yeah. long story short it ends up being like these two guys who are on the bus that have been bullied by everybody on the bus since they were kids like uh set this up and drugged people so that they're like zombies but they're not actually as a way as a means of getting back at them it was like it did it was it was whack man it, it, just, it was like zombies it was like exactly <laughs> i was like i that that's where i was at i was like okay there's you can't just like half seize this like you're either a zombie or you're not like you don't just you don't just like you can't have this yeah like you can't you can't just be, like you're either you're a zombie or you're not there's no in between and it was 
<laughs> so like that whole like conceptually, I was just like, what? How do you how do you write this and then like come back and be like, yeah, this works. And then how do you like direct that and film that and be like, oh yeah, this works. Like, no, it did not work. Um, it was like fine as like just like a campy. I'm bored. I'm watching yeah. something. Um, but yeah, it was it was a little bit a uh, little bit of a bomb. <laughs> Um, have you watched any of the cabinet of curiosities yet? It's on my watch list. I have not opened yeah. my Netflix app in a while. Um, surprise. I weirdly don't open it as often as I used to. Yeah. Um, I agree with you on that. Uh, the first cabinet of curiosity was not very good, but I went and forwarded. Did you see the empty man a few years ago? I did. Yeah. Yeah. That was, so, I, that was actually really good. I liked it. I, it's maybe my favorite horror movie. Um, James Bashdale was fantastic. Few yeah. years. Yeah. Um, so David Pryor, the guy who made The Empty Man, did one of these. Mm-hmm. And it's called The Autopsy. It's the third one. Okay. Uh, it's very good. It, it, like, I have been a bit unimpressed with those in general so far, but I, I would just, I would watch the third one. I would watch the one with the one that David Pryor made. Okay. It's very awesome. good. Actually, now that you mentioned Autopsy, too, that reminds me of another movie I watched. Uh, I forgot that I watched this. Um, I'm try- I think it's called Afterlife. Liam Neeson is in it. Um, I can't. I think it's Justin Long too is also in it. I can't remember the the main character, main actress's name. She's been in a lot of you, things, but I can't remember. You've been on Justin Longhive because you. Uh, I you have been on Justin Longhive. I always forget like how many movies he's been in until you watch something from the mid mid 2010s. You're like, oh, it's Justin Long's here. Um, but basically, like, I don't know. So, have you seen it? Because I'd actually recommend watching it. Um, I'm trying to find when did it come out. Uh, let me look it up um, because I think it was early 2010s. Oh, early no, wrong. 2010s. Two, 2009 came out in 2009. Okay, um, I've not seen this. Yeah, it's Liam Neeson, Justin Long, Christina Ricci. Um, worth it. I thought it was worth it. Um, again, like knowing that it's not like anything crazy amazing, but basically the idea is, um, do you want me to spoil it or not? No, don't. Okay. Well, let me know if you get into it, but basically it it very much toys with the idea of what's real and what's not. Um, well also it's cool because like they kind of blend it by like making it painfully obvious on whether it is or isn't. But also, you still question it because of the way things play out. And I, I really okay. enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Interesting. Um, I, I'm all in on the Ricci-sance, uh with Christina Ricci. Uh, have you have you watched Yellow Jackets yet? No, I have not. Watch Yellow Jackets. Like th- that's what you should go to bed watching tonight. Yellow okay. Jackets is my favorite show that I've seen um, in the last. That's debuted in the last year. I okay, say. I gotta check that out. Um, it is crazy and it is, she is amazing in it okay i gotta i gotta check that uh i actually another thing that i watched for the first time that she was in i saw the johnny depp sleepy hollow movie um not i think if yeah, that's, that, a, that's the kind of thing that, that's like, a that's a good um that's a good generational gap movie between yeah. us the six years difference between yeah. us because that movie was a thing when i was a kid that, yeah. i was nine when that came out so yeah well yeah that's the first time i've ever seen it it was i feel like that's the kind of thing where i'm like if i saw that in 2010 that would have been awesome and i think it was still like good but it was like yeah kind of like it's a little dated but um no the one thing i kept meaning to ask you have you seen midnight mass yes i love okay 
I love Midnight Mass. That was Mass. amazing. I was, I was going to say, if you haven't seen that, you got to see it. But yeah, that was that was fantastic. I had people. Midnight, say, Midnight Mass like, is an auto auto watch for everyone. Yeah, I think. That was um, so all right, Mark. Let's uh, let, let's let you get off to sleep in beautiful idea. Cleveland, Ohio. Um, you've podcasted for how many hours today? Uh, at least five or six. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let, let's let you stop podcasting today. Um, Mark, tell the people where they can find your work. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at mg underscore Schindler. Um, I have a Patreon as well if you enjoy my work. Um, I just launched something at Cerebro Sports on Jet Howard, who has been awesome to start the year at Michigan. We didn't talk about Jet, did we? That's fine. We'll get to him next pod. Uh, I, they yeah. actually they have a couple. They have good games this weekend, if I remember correctly. Um, I know they're going to play. Um, they play Kentucky at some point in London. I know that. Yeah. Um, who who else do they have? They have it's someone else. I'm they have right they have Virginia. Oh, they yeah. they have Pitt on Wednesday. That's not yeah. that's not so what it, we want. Mark. Yeah, well, it's no, a it's no. a step up compared to I like actually Eastern Michigan's pretty decent. Is it? I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's something. Um, yeah, it's not really a step up, but like because yeah, Eastern's the the capel the capel Pitt teams are. Look, look, man, I want. I want the pit teams to be good. I grew up there. I lived, no joke, within a seven-minute walk of Peterson Event Center for my uh, first year at Carnegie Mellon. And I want that team to be good, and they are fucking awful. They are, like, they just look disorganized when you watch them. That's, like, the biggest thing I can say. You watch that team, and they look like – they don't know what they're running. Uh, Cause I watched a little bit of the West Virginia game and I was just like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to enjoy this. Like Joe Toussaint is like absolutely obliterating them right now. What, what are we doing here? And uh, I mean, yeah, no, it's bad. Yeah. It's very bad team. Very, very yeah. bad team. Mark. <laughs> well, hopefully they get better, but yeah. Um, yeah. So find me on Twitter. Um, that's the best place. I also, for those interested, I interviewed uh, Ohio great Kelsey Mitchell today on uh, on my new podcast they've got now. Um, yeah, come on, let's go. Give yeah. us, dude. Kelsey give us was, a she was on the awesome. new show. Yeah, Kelsey's really really dope. I have another. Uh, I can I can drop right now. I'm talking to Kalia Copper tomorrow, and I'll be up later this week on the pod as well. So yeah, be checking that out because it's it's been really fun. Tell the people where they can find it. Oh yeah, people. you can find it's called all about the. You just yeah. launched it. Give the yeah, description. It's called man. They've Come Got on. Now. You can find it. It's on Apple. It's on Spotify. It's on all of your podcast uh, listening platforms. Um, so yeah, um, appreciate that. No, we we need to we need to get you. You need to get people to your feed because I love that you're doing this. I think it's a really good idea interviewing uh, women's basketball players because like I feel like they just need more platforms. Yeah. To be able to do this, especially uh, platforms to be able to talk basketball. Um, and God knows that you guys are getting into like an awesome amount of like X's and O's stuff and do stuff like that. So um, all for that, please go subscribe to Mark's show. Uh, please go subscribe to this show. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini. Go, we broadcasted on Twitter tonight as well. I have no idea if we're going to keep doing that. I just kind of did it because I thought it'd be a good like live idea to do. Um, we'll see like what the listens are like. I just have no idea what to expect on that. Um, but beyond that, guys, thanks for listening. 
I don't know if I'll have anything on Champions Classic because, as Mark and I noted, the talent was a little bit down this year. But I don't know, man. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.